Well, we're finishing up the series that we started the beginning of, of July um, entitled Songs of Summer. And we've done this for the past number of years. For those of you that may be joining us uh, for the first time today or you're a newcomer to our congregation. Over the past few years, what we do is in the month of July, we take specific songs that we feel like the Holy Spirit's leading us to. And we'll build the entire message around that song and as it pertains to the scriptures, okay? Um, and so today, uh, we're going to be going to that song that we just sang. But before we get into the message and its content, I want to share something with you that I shared last night with the congregation that was here. Something that I really wanted to share uh, throughout the time that we've been in this series, but just never got around to it. There's a few different types of songs that we sing together as a congregation. Over the years, I've been extremely sensitive to this. Um, if God had, I, if God would have planned things the way I would have liked it to be, I would have been a worship leader rather than a pastor. My heart is for worship. I, to me, there's nothing better than being in the presence of God as we worship Him. Unfortunately, He didn't give me the voice or the musical ability. He gave it to my sons instead. So um, I've been very, very um, sensitive to this topic of worship throughout the years. I've been saved now 38 years working with the Lord. I've gone through many different seasons of, of worship in the church world, okay? And uh, one thing I've noticed about this, I could, I could break them down into three categories, okay? There's category, and I don't choose these out of importance, just one, two, and three. Number one are the praise songs, okay? So, well, isn't that all songs praise? No, not all songs are praise, okay? A praise song, to give you an example so you can put something concrete to it, how many of you remember the song we did a few weeks ago, What a Beautiful Name? Amen. How many are familiar with that song? Yes. Very familiar, okay? What we're doing in that song is we're talking and we're praising God for the name of Jesus, how beautiful the name is, how wonderful the name is, how powerful the name is. So we're singing about a particular thing, right? Okay. Then you come to worship songs, okay? And a worship song, a pure worship song uh, that I can give you an example of is, uh, I wanted to choose one that was more contemporary rather than choose one from like 30 years ago. And one of the most contemporary songs right now that I would consider 100% pure worship is a song that we've done over the past couple of years called Nothing Else, okay, by Cody Carnes. I'm just going to give you some of the lyrics so that you see the difference between if you're thinking in your head now what the lyrics are to a beautiful name and, and we're singing about the name. Say, say we're singing about, about, okay? Now, now listen to the lyrics in this song. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessings, Jesus. You don't owe me anything. More than anything that you can do, I just want you. So you, you hear the difference? In the praise, many praise songs, we're singing about God. But this kind of song, a worship song, we're singing to him. We're literally speaking to Jesus, talking about all we want is your presence. That, that's a pure worship song. So you got a praise song where we sing and we get excited and usually praise songs are a little bit more boisterous and, and upbeat uh, and we're talking about something or talking about something that God did or talking something about pertaining to God. Worship songs are just, you're in his face. Are, are you seeing the difference? Now, the reason I'm spending the time to go through this explanation, is number one, to raise a level of awareness of what type of songs we're singing. Okay, and that's where we're pretty particular about the kind of songs we sing. Because people come and say, uh, you know, I heard this song on the radio. How come we don't sing it? It's not our song. Okay, it's, it doesn't fit the categories, okay? Um, there's been times throughout the years where, you know, there'll be discussion about songs. Say, no, 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 we're not doing that song. Well, why? It's got a great beat and people like it. People like the calf, too, that, what's his name made? Uh, uh, Aaron, they loved the calf too, but it wasn't, it wasn't God. So the song that the message is based on today, this weekend, is the third category of songs 
according to Joe, okay? <laughs> These songs we call we songs. Okay, turn to somebody and say we song. We song. <laughs> and you might know where I'm going with this. It's a song that we sing not to God or to Jesus or about him. It's more to remind us who we are, what God has done for us, what God has promised us. Are you listening? Yes. So if you think now about the song we just sang, we're singing about what God has said about us. Yes? yes. You're catching it? Yes. Okay, just you'll hear it as we go through the teaching. And then we're going to sing it again at the end so that we're singing a song that we really know what we're talking about. Okay? So we songs are very much like, picture a, a group of soldiers going out on the battlefield in ancient times. I don't think they do it too much anymore now. But in ancient times, they would have a song on the battlefield. And it's about kicking the enemy's butt, and it's about how great we are and how strong we are and how God is for us and all this other kind of stuff. Why, why do soldiers do that? To get themselves motivated, to get themselves remembering the cause, why they're putting their life on the line, why they're willing to go and, and fight a battle. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. Honey, I don't know if you realize it, but life on earth is a battle. Yes. Has anybody noticed that? Has anybody had any battles here on this earth? Just a few of us. The rest of you guys, you need to pray for us. Okay. It's a battle. And there are times where these kind of songs, uh, now, I, I wouldn't do a whole service full of we songs, because uh, you get so full of yourself at the end of the service, that's all you've experienced. You know, we need a balance, but this kind of song is necessary for us. It builds us up. It reminds us of, of what God has said about us. And let me tell you something, okay? The enemy is constantly trying to wear you down. Your own mind will constantly try to wear you down. Negative thoughts. You get up in the morning, it's like, oh, God. Uh, you know, there's a scripture back in the Old Testament, I think it's in the book of Deuteronomy, where it's said about the people of Israel that a curse that would come upon them, that in the morning they would say, oh, we wish it was nighttime, and at nighttime they would say, oh, we wish it was morning. Has anybody live, ever lived like that? Yeah, I know, I remember days in the past where like, oh man, if I could just get through today, I'll be okay. And then at nighttime, oh man, if I could just sleep, maybe when I wake up in the morning, things will be different. Life is a battle. Turn to somebody and say that, please. And God wants to help us through that battle. He doesn't want, listen, look at me. God doesn't just want us to make it through. God wants us to come through victorious. He has made us more than conquerors. Are you listening to me? We're not supposed to come through this thing all beat up and, and battered. We're supposed to come through this thing like, do you want a piece of me? Amen. You listen, I don't, I, please don't take that as haughtiness or pride. Uh, it just, it's the truth. Jesus, walked, Jesus didn't walk out of that grave all beat up. In fact, he would look so different, the disciples didn't recognize him because the last time they saw him, he's all beat up, bruised, whipped, blood pouring down all over. The he come out of that tomb like, yeah, I got this done. And that victory, that resurrection life has been given to us. But you see, you and I have an enemy who hates us and is constantly trying to wear us down. And as we get closer and closer into these last days, as we get closer and closer to the windup of this whole uh, dispensation that we're in, as we get closer and closer to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no doubt about it, he's coming. He's com and he's coming soon. I think if we knew how soon he was coming, some of us would have stayed home and rolled up in bed like this. He's coming. Turn to somebody and say, he's coming. So as we get closer and closer to that time, we're told back in the book of Daniel, and I keep wanting to repeat this because I want us to get this. Look, the weariness that you're experiencing, the, the complications in life that you're experiencing right now. That you, you, many people are saying, I'm saying, I've said to my wife, do you remember life being this complicated years ago when we first got married and first started having kids? It seemed like everything was so much easier back then, less complicated. Now, everything is so difficult. Everything is so complicated. Everything requires so much mind work, okay? But listen, 
That's a sign of the last days. In the book of Daniel, it tells us the prophet Daniel received word from the Spirit of God telling us that in the last days, one of the tactics of the enemy of our souls would be to wear down the saints. Now, when I say that, I want to explain that because if you came out of the church background that I came out of, when I heard the word saint, I didn't think it was me. I thought it was St. Joseph with a lily in his hand, St. Anthony. Saint... No, the Bible in the New Testament calls every born-again believer is a saint. Turn to somebody and say, you're a saint. You're a saint. Why? Because the word saint, listen, the word saint means one who is separated, one who is set apart. Okay? All right. I don't want to get, well, I can get off on a tangent here. I don't want to. So, I want you to listen to this and we're going to get into the message. When we sing God's word, I said when we sing God's word, not somebody's opinion, not somebody's feelings, not, not somebody's venting and crying and all this other kind. When we sing God's word, all right, it is the same as declaring God's word. What does it do? It releases power. When you and I speak the word of God, there's a release of power. I don't know about you, but every time we sing that song, we just sang, whenever we come to that place where we make that declaration, I am a child of God, I feel something just rise up inside me like, I just spoke truth. It's, it's jerking the slack out of me. It's, it's, it's clearing out all the cobwebs. It's getting rid of the, the weariness. It's getting, it's, I'm snapping to attention. I'm a child of God. Amen. Amen. We'll talk about it some more. Now, watch this now. Isaiah 55, verse 10, gives us the mechanics of how this works. Because I'm assuming you came here to learn something this morning, right? Yes. Okay. Watch this now. This is how this whole deal works of us speaking the word of God, releasing the power of God. Watch this now. Now, this is God speaking to the nation of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. You got it? Now, it can be, you know, you and I, this is for us too. All right? Okay, good. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Stop right there. Don't go to the next verse yet. What's he saying? He's saying, what I'm about to tell you operates just like rain and snow. It comes down from, from the sky. It settles on the earth. It sinks into the ground. It reaches the seed. Say seed. seed. It reaches the seed. And when the water and the combination of the earth, uh, soil, and all that stuff hits that seed, what happens? The seed bursts forth and brings forth a bud. When it increases from a bud, what does it con continue to increase and produce? Fruit. Okay that it may give seed to the sower, because now it's not only going to produce fruit, but it's going to also going to produce more seed, okay? And that's why what Mindy shared at the beginning of the service is you're paying your tithes. Everybody, you don't want to eat your tithe because you eat your tithe, you're eating your seed. If you eat the seed, there's nothing left to plant. If there's nothing left to plant, eventually you're going to have nothing to eat. Okay. That it may give seed to the sower, the one who's sowing, and bread to the eater, okay? Next verse. He's, now, God says, the same way this stuff operates in nature is the same way that my word operates. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall, re it shall not return to me void. What's another word for void? Empty, fruitless, unproductive. Okay. But it shall accomplish what I please. This is God speaking. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Okay. You got this? So what's he saying? When, when you speak the word of God, the word of God, strictly and specifically the word of God, because the power of God is in the word of God, okay? So when you do that, it's the same as if I spoke it. It's going to go forth and it's going to accomplish. It's not going to come back empty. It's going to accomplish what I sent it forth to do. So when you and I are singing songs that are based on and full of the word of God, it's the same release of power. It's the same declaration. Are you listening to me? Yes. I shared this last night. I'll share it now instead of sharing it later into the teaching because I think it's more, it may be a more appropriate illustration for what we just talked about. When my wife and my family came back from Tulsa, Oklahoma back in 90s, 
97. Yeah, 97. We found ourselves in kind of a little quandary. We needed some place to live, okay? And uh, I, I think I'm mixing up the time frame here, but there was a point in time where we had to go and rent summer rentals at the end of the summer. In fact, it was, it was the end of August going into September. We couldn't find a place permanently, so we're, so we're going two weeks here, two weeks there, two weeks in Lavalette, two weeks in Seaside Park, two weeks, and, and that got real expensive. Because, you know, people don't care that you need a place to live. They just, they want their money, okay? So, so we were in Seaside Park, um, which was going home to us because we had lived in Seaside Park for about eight or nine years at one point in time. So forget about that. So we're in this apartment, cramped. We're having to drive our kids all the way to Lakewood to go to school, um, getting up early, all this other stuff. I'm like, God, what's going on here? You knew we needed a place to live. Why aren't we finding some, why is nothing opening? Why aren't the doors opening, blah, blah, blah. So one morning uh, I said to my wife, I gotta clear my head. I just, I, I, I gotta go for a walk. And so um, I'm gonna go to, uh, down the street uh, to the market that was there. Who's, who, how many people are familiar with Seaside Park? The White Oak Market. Park Bakery. Yeah, that is worth the ride, okay. <laughs> So I said to my wife, I'm going to take a walk down the street, and uh, this is how long ago it was. I'm going to buy a newspaper. <laughs> okay. As I come down the stairs, because we were up on the second floor, as I come down the stairs, as soon as I hit the pavement, inside me rises up this song that I had not sung at that point for probably 10 to 15 years. And the song, some of you know the story. You've heard me tell this before. And the song goes like this. I'm filled with praise, filled with power, filled with glory. I'm filled with praise, filled with power, filled with glory. And it's song this. By the time I got to the corner, I'm not like this, depressed and disgusted and everything else. I'm, I'm like, yeah, we're doing this. This is going to be okay. We're going to be all right. I bought the newspaper, went back upstairs to my wife. I said, everything's going to be okay. Just got charged up. How, how did I get charged up? From the newspaper? Did it get charged up because I went and bought a cupcake at the, seat, at the park bakery? No, I got charged up because I began to declare the will of God over our, my life, over our lives, over my family. Over the, uh, and the fact was, it wasn't a fantasy. The truth of the matter was, I had allowed the circumstance to cloud what the reality was. Because the reality was, regardless of what I felt like, I'm still filled with praise, filled with power, filled with glory, I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. You listening to me? I pray that one of the results of today's message is that the Holy Spirit plants a song in your heart so that when you feel that way, down, depressed, dark, cloudy, like what's going on? I can't, can't even make it. You'll begin to sing a song. You don't have to be my, leave my song alone. It's my song. <laughs> but you'll get a song of your own. That you, when you wake up in the morning, you hear that song. Amen. When, you, when you go to bed at night, you're hearing that song. Amen. When the enemy's coming and putting all kinds of clouds in your way that you can't see one foot in front of the other, that you'll remember that song and you'll begin to sing your song of victory, your song of triumph. Amen. Man, we could talk about this stuff for a long time. Hallelujah. Back in the book of Numbers. All right. The enemies of God's people try to hire a prophet to speak curses over them. And he brings this false prophet up to a high place so that he could see the entire nation of Israel camped down on the ground. It's pretty cool if you go study that, how they camped. You can see there's actually charts will show you how the different tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, encamped themselves. They put the tabernacle, watch this now, let me turn around if I could do this better. You could see it. Imagine this in your mind. This man, when he looked over the cliffs and saw the nation of Israel, two and a half to three million people camped, he saw the tabernacle in the middle. That's the place where they would meet God. And then the tribes were set out in this order. Let me ask you, what is that shape? What is that form? So, so the prophet says to the person, how can I curse them? when the song and the shout of the king is among them. Mm -hmm. 
you start getting this shout on the inside of you about what God has said about you. You start singing the song of what God has said about you based on scripture, not what you say about you. Not I'm wonderful, I'm great, I'm handsome, I'm bum. No, what God says about you. The enemy has to back off. Why? Because this entire existence that you and I are involved in is about words. It's about God used words to create the universe. Let there be light. And light was. You know what I'm saying? Well, the enemy knows that. Remember, he's there. He's there when the universe is created. He knows that. So he tries to use words to create chaos in your life. God uses words to bring peace, shalom, stability in our lives. The enemy uses words to bring chaos, instability, insecurity into our lives. When you start declaring what God's, man, this is so different from last night. Wow. We're recording this, right? The enemy will use words to bring you into a place of darkness and depression. Words that you think you're thinking. And if you own them, you will manifest those thoughts. But, but watch this now. Look at how good God is. Even while you're battling in here, and this is the greatest battlefield you're ever going to experience is right between these two ears. Not out here, in here. Okay? When you begin to, even though you're struggling, but if you'll hook your mouth up to what the word says rather than hooking your mouth up to what your thoughts are telling you, you will begin to manifest what the word says, not what the enemy says. Amen. That's why it's so important for us to worship God. It's so important for us to sing. When you come in, please, uh, please for your sake, leave the garbage behind. When you come into to this place where we're all joining together and wanting to, to praise God, to worship God, to encourage each other with our songs, don't go by what's in my head. Well, Pastor, if you only know what I'm dealing with. Honey, if you only know what I'm dealing with. Okay? That's not the issue. The issue is, where are you hooking this up to? Are you going to say what he said you are, or are you going to speak your feelings? If you're going to speak your feelings, you're doomed. Because your feelings are never going to line up with what God says. Man, I got to listen to this when this is over. Now watch, the song starts out. Can I just take a sip of water, please? And you guys are going to promise to listen quickly, right? Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? Now that word highest king, is that's very accurate. Because we're introduced, when God introduces himself in Genesis chapter 1, it's El Elohim, and there's two words in you, Elohim and El Elyon. L, L, now, another, another trick here. Whenever you see that L, whenever you see E-L attached to a name, that's talking about God. Danny L. Do you have any Daniels in here? Not right now. Oh, you're right there. Come on, give me a break. Raise your hand. Danny L, okay? God, because it goes backwards. Hebrew is, starts it this way and goes that way, okay? Well, this way and goes that way. So Daniel, God is judge, okay? And anytime you see El on the end of something, it's always referring to God, okay? Um, Elohim, that is the God of Trinity, okay? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You ever realize in Genesis says uh, that God, God said, let us, create God, get, let us create man in our image? Well, God didn't have a split personality. He's talking about the reality. He's Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Ghost. Okay, the other word that's used is El Elyon, most high God. So when we're singing that song and we're, we're saying, who am I that the highest king would welcome me? We're, we're talking accurately. He is the most high God. There are no other gods besides him. He, this is it. This is the ultimate. And so to get attention from this particular individual who is the highest God, the most powerful God, the almighty God, the king of the universe is a big deal. Now watch this now. The idea that God loves us so much that he would come to earth in the form of his son has always astonished mankind. When you start sharing the gospel with people, they look at you like, come on. You think God, after all I've done in my life, you think God could really love me? How many of you had those thoughts before? 
Okay, just a couple, the rest of you are not being honest. Um, it astonishes us. It's just, it's too good to be true. What do you mean this God, so holy, so pure, so, so powerful, the one who created everything that's seen and unseen, he loves me? Yeah, he does. And sometimes it takes us a while to actually get used to the fact of this. But watch this now. I want to show you that in Hebrews chapter 2, not only did it astonish, not only does it astonish mankind, there's an, another species of being that got completely blown away by this fact that God would love man. And I'm explaining this to you because I want you to get the context. Hebrews chapter 2. We jump right in the middle of this. Now, I'm going to tell you ahead of time what's going on here so that you can follow it easier. This is one of the only places in the entire Bible where we have recorded for us a conversation that was not between God and man, but a conversation between God and an angel. We don't know which one it is. I could take a guess. But this is a conversation that we get a behind the scenes an eternity past of what happened in this conversation between an angel and God. So now that you got the context, I hope you listen. Here's what the angel's saying to God. What is man that you're mindful of him? In other words, why are you so obsessed with this, with this species of being? Who are they? Look at them. They have no supernatural powers. They're flesh and bone and blood. At some point, they're going to die. Why, why are you so concerned for them? Why do you love them so much? Or the son of man that you take care of him. Next verse. You have made him a little lower than angels. That's not what it says in the original language. In the original language, this is how it reads. You have made him a little lower than Elohim. You listening? So what is it really saying? You have made him, you, God, have made him, mankind, a little lower than yourself. Now, say, so, well, how did it get translated that? Because when they translated, they came across this, and the people back then said, no, nah, can't, it can't mean this. Because religion had taught them, like many of us were taught, it's God, it's angels. If you grew up in the church I did, there's saints, then there's you. That's not what it says. And remember what we're saying. We're saying about what God says about us. God said he made us a little bit lower than him, above the angels. Now think about this. That has to be true. Why? Because we, the church, those of us that are in relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, in other words, those of us that are saved, we've been given authority over spirits. Yes or no? Yes. Then how could you and I be given authority over something that's above us? Now, imagine, why did God do it this way? Imagine you're Lucifer. You're one of the top guys in heaven. And you get kicked out. And you get kicked down to this planet here. Okay? And now, God creates this species of being that you laugh at when you say him. Look at him. He has to walk on the ground. If they get cut, they bleed. If they don't have air, they die. If they fall in the water, don't know how to swim, they drown. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you find out that the creator has given that pitiful being authority over you. How much more humiliating does it get? <laughs> Paul said when he wrote to the Corinthian church, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? Well, how can you and I judge something that's above us? We can't. So the ranking in God's kingdom, and you better remember this, okay? Because if you don't know this, you're not going to see yourself in the light of who God made you. It's Elohim. Then it's mankind. Then it's the angelic beings. They are ministering servants sent to help us, sent to minister to us, to the heirs of salvation. Okay? So listen to me. I don't want to go into a big deal about this, but if you've been raised in some type of a belief system where you're worshiping angels, stop it. Stop it. Stop praying to angels. Jesus said, you pray to God the Father in my name, and it'll get done. Yes or no? You got it? All right, good. I can move on now. So, next part of the song says, 
who the Son sets free, uh, was free indeed. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. We're going to stop there for two minutes. Minute. One minute. But when the right time came, I don't know about you, but I think about stuff like this. Well, what determined the right time? God? You say God did. Uh, um, no. Here's what determined the right time. God waited until the, 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 the first moment that everything was in place so that the gospel could spread like wildfire. Paul is writing this letter. What empire wasn't in power when Paul wrote this letter? Rome. 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 Most powerful empire to that time. Okay? Now watch how God had been setting things up but needed people to cooperate with him. 400 years before that time, there's a young man who starts out in northern Greece and conquers the entire eastern part of the Mediterranean all the way to the gates of China. His name is Alexander the Great. One of the greatest things that Alexander the Great did that maybe qualified him to be called great was he unified the entire region under one language. You know what language that was? Greek. So now Greek is, is now, no, if you went to Syria and you want to function officially, you speak Greek. If you go to India, that was affected by his, his conquer, being conquered by him, you're speaking Greek. If you go to Egypt, you're speaking Greek. If you go to North Africa, you're speaking Greek. If you go to any place in Greece, Macedonia, uh, if you go into Turkey and in those areas there, if you're going anywhere in the Middle East, you're speaking Greek. Greek. What's the New Testament written in? Greek. Why? So everybody in the entire Roman Empire could understand it in one language. Okay? So it says that, that right in the, in the in King James says in the fullness of time, at the right time. Yeah, the right time. Rome was the first empire that had roads that were safe, that you can travel anywhere and had commerce. All right? Please don't get bored with this little history lesson. It's important to know this. God's not stupid. He knows when to launch things. He knows because he's a very practical God. Practical God. Practical God. I've heard so many teachings out of the book of Revelations on the seven churches, why God chose these seven churches. And all of a sudden, I looked at the map one day and I went, they're all on the same road. You start in one church and you go through the other churches and come back to the same. He knew what he was doing. We want to put all these spiritual things. No, he's very, God is a practical God. So he waits until the Roman Empire is in power where they ensured safety because they were cruel individuals. They dealt with criminal activities ruthlessly. So you got safe roads. You have ships going from Syria to Egypt, from Egypt to Rome, from Rome to Spain, from Spain to England. You have ships constantly going across the Mediterranean, out into the Atlantic, traveling to England. How do you think the news got around back then? So the very first opportunity was during the Roman Empire. And that's when God sends his son to be born so that the gospel is in place and bam, it could spread. Now think about it. Within 20 years, the gospel is news all over North Africa, all of, all of Europe, Southern Europe, all of the Middle East. God says that at the right time, God sent his son born of a woman, subject to the law. So it had to happen while the New Old Testament was still in power. Next verse. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us. There's a key word, adopt. So he could adopt us as his very own children. Are you getting this? Yes. Verse six. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. That's the Holy Spirit. Prompting us to call out, Abba. What's Abba? It says father there, but really it's, Abba. it's like father as a term of endearment. It's really daddy. Daddy. Amen. That's how much he loves us. That's the creator of the universe. The one who spoke and the son came into being wants us to call him daddy. I don't know about you. I think that's pretty cool. Amen. So 
who are we? When we're singing, what are we? we're children of God. We're his children. Now watch this now, because I'm going to say something. I, I think I mentioned this last weekend in one of the teachings. I don't remember when. But I, I'm obligated to, to say what I'm going to say because it's, it's clear in Scripture. We sing the song, I am a child of God. Could you say that, please? I am a child of God. Now, there's a popular philosophy out there in the world that says, well, everybody on the planet, we're all God's children. No, that's not true. We're all God's creation. We're not all God's children. I know some of you are getting riled up already. How dare he? Based on the word of God, I dare. John chapter 1, listen, don't get crazy, okay? Every person that's ever born, every person that's ever been conceived is a creation of God, okay? It was his idea. But the scriptures are extremely clear that you and I must do something to become a child of God. We're born into this world. We're creations of God. But we have to, we have to, the scriptures will explain it. John chapter one, please. Now he, talking about Jesus, obviously from the context, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. We saw that, right? Okay. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. They did, right? Here it is. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become, let's say it, children of God. You see it? You see it? We're all creations of God. But then the cre- out of the creation, you and I have to step out apart. Now, is it God's desire for everyone to become children? Absolutely. But he's given us free choice. Some people will choose to become a child of God. Some people will choose to remain a creation of God. There's only one problem. Creations of God don't go to heaven. Children of God go to heaven. Amen. You catching this? Yes. Well, I don't like this. Well, when you get there, tell him. Right. I'm just reading the book. You see what I'm talking about? So when we make that declaration, I'm a child of God, what we're saying is, for lack of a better way to explain it, I've gone through the process I have come to the conclusion in my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for my sins, that God raised him from the dead so that I could have hope of everlasting life. I believe that. I have accepted him. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. Finished. Amen? All right, good. Are we getting anything this morning? The song goes on. Free at last, he has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. Would you say that with me, please? His grace runs deep. While I, you don't have to repeat this. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. You guys saying that? Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. Now, I would say one of the most impacting incidents that took place in the life of Jesus while he was on the earth here is found in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, a very familiar story. But I, I want you to see it through the eyes of what we're talking about. Having studied the Gospels, it seems like this is the very first impacting time that Jesus is teaching the religious people about grace. Okay? And you say, well, why would he have to teach them if they're religion? Oh, honey, uh, religion and grace are two very different things. Religion is a set of rules and do's and don'ts and Eat this, don't eat that, dress this way, don't dress that way, uh, do this on this day, don't do it on that day. Um, uh, get over on the other side, light candles, spin beads, uh, make promises that you know you're not gonna keep. All that stuff, that's works, that's religion, that's you, that's mankind trying to earn favor from God, trying to earn God's love. Grace is. I'm useless, I'm hopeless, I can't do anything without you. If you don't come and help me, I am gonna, I'm just gonna perish. I, you're the only one that can help me. You, David said it this way, who do I have in heaven? You're the only one. You're the strength of my heart. My heart may fail, my flesh may fail, but you, God, are the strength of my heart. 
When you throw yourself completely on God like that, he just fills you up with his grace and just carries you. Let's see what happened here. John chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 3. As he, Jesus, I don't know why they don't capitalize these words when it, speak, when it talks about him. Some versions do, other versions don't. I know, I was taught from a very young age, whenever you write the name of God, God bless you. Whenever you write the name of Jesus, whenever you have anything that's referring to God, it should be capitalized. As he, capital H, was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, when you put the Pharisees, you go, dun, 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 dun. And the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught, look at this, She's caught in the act of adultery. This is somebody they heard about. Hey, I heard so-and-so shacking up with this one. Now, they caught her. The bigger question is, what the heck were they doing there watching this? And where's the guy? Because, you know, she can't commit adultery on her own. Where's the guy? I have a feeling it was one of their buddies. They caught her in the act of adultery and they put her. And honestly, the, the ins, it's insinuated there that they took her right from the bed, which she's probably either naked or very scantily clad, and threw her at Jesus' feet in front of, the crowd, in front of a crowd. You, oh, man, you talk about shame. In front of the crowd. Next verse. Teacher, they, the Pharisees, dun, 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 and the teachers of the law, they said to Jesus, now watch this, they don't care about this woman. Or they're looking for an excuse to trap him. Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. Yeah, well, why didn't you say what the law of Moses said to do with the guy? It's only the law. They become lawyers when it has to do with her. They forget the law when it has to do with the guy. Law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And they're trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus, what does he do? He stoops down and he starts writing in the dust. Okay? Next verse. They kept demanding. So now that tells us that when Jesus stooped down, it wasn't just a shh, shh, shh. No, Jesus is writing something lengthy. Why? Because they kept demanding an answer. It's like, hey, 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 we asked you a question. Aren't you going to answer us? And he's like, Then finally he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Right? Next verse. Then he stooped down again. Why? I, I, I kind of theorize that he realized they didn't get the message the first time. Let me continue. Okay? Then he stooped down in the dust again and wrote in the dust. Go ahead. When the accusers heard this, now you could say that they heard his response I choose to think that they heard something that the ground was speaking. And I can prove it to you, okay? When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning, that's it, this is important, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Now, the crowd are watching this. They're watching the religious teachers and the Pharisees. Come on, guys. They're watching what's happening here. And why do you think they started with the oldest? Because the oldest has the, more, the most life experience. And the oldest one knows the word better than all of them. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, he doesn't even, he's not talking to anybody else. He's talking to her now. Why? He's concerned for her. Where are, the, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Now, that's, this is where most people stop with the story. And that's why some people will go and live in sin and say, well, you know, Jesus let the, let the woman caught in adultery, let her off. Oh, honey, you didn't finish it. You didn't finish it. <laughs> no, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I, nice and loud, go and sin no more. Why? He's not looking at her sin. He's looking beyond her sin. He's not winking at her sin. He's not saying, hey, look, we all do these. No. He's saying, look, you've got, you're at a fork in the road here. You can either follow me or you can keep living the life that you're living. Now go and sin no more. Now, the Pharisees, dun, 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 they're not concerned for her. 
They're looking for her punishment and a serious punishment. They're looking for her death. Jesus is looking for her transformation. He does the same thing with us today. He's not looking at, he's not winking at our sin. He's not lying, it's cute, you did that, I'll let you go. No, no, no. He looks beyond that to see if we're becoming who he said we are. That's why this song is so important. You catching this? Are you, oh, so pastor, you're saying I can sit? No, you don't need my permission. You've been doing it all along. And we don't need God's permission. We've been doing it all along. Amen. You see what I'm saying? But he looks beyond it. So he's looking for the fulfillment and the manifestation in your life and in my life of the things he said about us in his word. You catching this? Now, we're talking about this. Because of that one line in the song that says, his grace runs deep. Now, watch this. Let's be practical about this. Knowing God and knowing the nature of Jesus. Do you think he loved the woman there who was caught in the act of adultery? Do you think he loved her more than he loved the religious leaders? Of course not. He's trying to accomplish two things here. He's extending grace to her because of her immediate need. If he says the wrong thing, they're going to stone her to death. So he's extending grace to her, but he's trying to awake their conscience because they just did something worse than what she did the day before. John chapter 8 appears after John chapter 7. What revelation? <laughs> when you go back to John chapter 7 and you realize what happened the day before this event took place, now you understand why he bent down. Because, listen, in 38 years of being a Christian, I've heard every type of thing taught about what Jesus was writing in the ground. Okay? It wasn't until I studied the book of Jeremiah that I found the answer. Okay? Now watch this now. I gotta give you the context. And look, I'm taking a little bit of time here, but I think it's worth it. All right? Are you okay with that? Yes. John chapter 7 talks about a feast that took place in Jerusalem. It's one of the six feasts that take place throughout the year. Very important one. Feast of Tabernacles. It occurs, and we know this happened in the fall because the Feast of Tabernacles, depending on the Hebrew calendar, is either September or October. Either middle of September, it could be anywhere from the middle of September to the beginning of October. Okay? because their calendar is fluid. So the day before they took this woman and brought her to Jesus, they're celebrating the great day of that feast. Now, what happens during that feast, and please just bear with me, there's, there's a lot to learn here. On that day, what they would do in Jerusalem at the temple is that they would get thousands and thousands of gallons of water from a certain pool that was close by. Man, that opens up a whole other thing. All right. They would take water from this pool that's close by. Okay, And they would bring all this water up to the temple mount, up to the, the highest part of the temple. And at a certain part during the ceremony, during this ritual that they would do, they would release all these thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons of water from the center of the temple, and they would shoot out into all the places of the temple. Because you, you got blood sacrifices going on here all year long. They, they, everything is bloody and caked and all this dust. And, so all this water would wash it away, and it's symbolic of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives Amen. when we get morning, and the Holy Spirit comes and clears out all this junk and clears out all this garbage. So while this is happening, all this water is shooting out, Jesus stands with the backdrop of this water shooting out from all over the place and says, are any of you thirsty? Come and drink from me. And he presents himself as the fountain of living water. They reject him. And the next morning they show up with this woman who they throw in front of him and say, here, what do you want to do with this one? And he's thinking, what do I want to do with her? What am I going to do with you? <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 17. I'll never forget years and years and years ago when I read this and I went, oh my God, this is what happened in John chapter 8. Jeremiah 17. I'm sorry I didn't give you this before, guys, in the back there. I'm going to start in verse 13. 
Jeremiah 17, 13. I want you to read this with me. Don't read it out loud, but I want you to read it very closely and tell me if you agree with me that this sounds like this is what happened that day. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. One of the Messiah's names is the hope of Israel, okay? All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you, read it with me, will be written in the dust because you have forsaken the Lord. Next verse, the spring, where is it? Yeah, because you have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Hundreds of years before the warning was given out, when this one, the hope of Israel shows up, who presents himself as the fountain of living water, don't dare forsake him, don't turn away from him, or your names are gonna be taken out of the book of life and written where? He's trying to get, that's why the, I would, when we get to heaven, I'm gonna go, Jesus, can I see the replay of that one? <laughs> You know, listen, because I want to see the look on the oldest guy's face when he went there and looked and saw Jesus, remembered what Jesus spoke about himself yesterday, because that's been bothering him ever since yesterday, that this man said that with the whole backdrop of all the living water coming from the temple. And now, oh my God, he just wrote my name in the dust. And he would have went, oh God, this ain't good. This is Jeremiah 17. I wonder, and again, we don't have the answers yet. We'll get them when we get to heaven. I wonder if this is one of the ones who was said later that many of the Pharisees put their faith in Jesus, but they couldn't say anything because they didn't want to lose their jobs. Because let's face it, when you know the word, the word speaks to you. Let me put it in a real practical sense. You go have a fight with somebody, you swear you're never going to talk to them again. And then you open up the Bible, and the first words that you see is forgive one another, love one another. And you go, oh, man. You see what I'm saying? That day, God's grace ran deep. It not only affected this woman's life, it was Jesus' attempt to get to these old guys who had become so jaded, so, so cynical, so crusted over, so lack of that, no compassion, no pity, and he's trying to shake them like, take advantage of this while I'm here. You see me standing in front of you. I'm the one that you prayed for for all these years. I'm the one that you've been studying about for all these centuries. Open your eyes and see. That's who I am. His grace runs deep. I don't think there's much more I can add to this. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. And listen, listen, church. We have not been chosen because we're great, because we know how to pray, because we're such wonderful people, because we're so compassionate. We've been chosen because he chose to love us first. So what has he said about us? We belong to him. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. He loves us with an everlasting love. He is for us, and if he is for us, nobody can be against us. He said nothing is ever going to be able to separate us from his love. And most of all, as it pertains to where we are right now, John chapter 14, verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms, dwelling places, mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you will be also. Look at me. This is where we are right now. Places being prepared. Being prepared. If we're children of God, then we're heirs of God. If you're an heir, what does it mean? When somebody is called an heir, what does it mean that they have coming to them? An inheritance. There is an inheritance that's waiting for us. There are blessings that you and I enjoy here on this earth. 
but they're nothing in comparison to the inheritance that he's got waiting for us in heaven. Jesus said, I'm preparing dwelling places for you. Now, listen, I don't want to give away next week's teaching, but next week's teaching, we're going to go into this in depth. Next week is Communion Sunday, okay? All of these things that we just read, that we pull out of context, and Joe, Jesus said this. He said this. John chapter 14 is documentation of the conversations that he had with the disciples the night before he goes to the cross. When you're on your deathbed, you don't talk about the weather. You don't talk about the latest Netflix series that came out. You talk about the most, well, you should anyway, but the most important things that you want your loved ones to remember. And amongst the things that he taught was this, I'm going away. But if I go away, I'm coming back. And while I'm away, I'm preparing a place for you, an inheritance that's going to last forever and ever and ever. And like I said last night, my inheritance is oceanfront. <laughs> you like the mountains? God bless you. Let them create you a mansion there. We'll see each other at some point. You hearing me? You and I have it in, but listen to me. Something that was prophesied over this ministry before it started was an extension of something that was prophesied about the founder of the Bible school that I attended along with many of the leaders in, in this church. And the purpose of that ministry, said, was to return people back to the Word of God and to prepare for the second coming. That same prophecy extends to this church. What was prophesied over this church when nobody knew it was going to exist, when I first went to Bible school, we only told a handful of people, and most of them were family, that we were going to Tulsa, Oklahoma to study, to come back to New Jersey, to brick, to start a church, okay? And in a prayer meeting, 1,400 miles away, somebody said, someone who has been here to minister, what's, what's, going, what's, this, what's going on with Joe Source? The Spirit of God's telling me he's coming back here to start a church. And the name of that church is going to be New Beginnings. And, he's, and that church is going to be instrumental in bringing revival to the Jersey Shore, returning people to the Word of God and preparing for the second coming. That's how close we are. Listen. You're wasting time. Don't do that. I appreciate that, but don't. What I'm saying is this. When you keep hearing me say, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Don't do that. Don't, don't take it as a cliche. Don't take it as empty words. He's coming. He's coming. And I, you know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to do a teaching. We're going to allude to some of these things. We're going to teach about some of this stuff because there's too many people that when you say that, they don't really know what you're talking about. Just like the Old Testament prophesied that he would come the first time, it prophesies that he's going to... In fact, it talks more about the second coming than it talks about the first... Am I right? There's way more prophecies about the second coming than there is about the first time he came in Bethlehem. We're living <laughs> right on the edge of that happening. Right on the edge. And last summer, some of, some of you were here. We did a series on the end times in depth in a, in a video series. How many remember that? Some of you guys need to go listen to that again. Uh, let's put it this way. I don't want to go into this. We've got to get out of here. They're waiting to sing the song. Just about, I, I will step out and say this. Everything that's supposed to happen before Jesus' appearance has happened already. Because he comes back in two stages. He comes back when he appears in the sky and every born-again person on the earth that's in the ground or on top of the ground, that's either died or still living, whew, is out of here. Oh, come on, that's science fiction. Where do you think they got the story from? <laughs> Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. I, I'll sit and watch some of these... Uh, uh, especially the Lord of the Rings series when it was out. And I'd sit there with my kids and go, you realize where they got this storyline from, right? The return of the king. I said, you realize? And the tree in front of the castle comes to life when he shows up. I'm like, there it is. They're reading the Bible. The second time he, he comes, we're with him. Amen. And what a sight that's going to be.
when the sky opens up and there's billions of individuals with Jesus leading in front, coming back to this earth to destroy evil, to destroy the devil, to return everything to the way it was supposed to be. I'm going to say this, get ready and then stay ready. Get your loved ones ready. Get, you don't have to go tell them all this stuff about, oh yeah, Jesus is going to come in the sky and going to zap everybody off the earth. No, no, that's too much for the, too much. Just get them in the boat. Just get them born again. Get them saved. Get them, get them, get them out of their sins. Get them connected to God. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing the song. They're going to dismiss us. God bless you. I pray that this has been a blessing to you.